don't go out and hire a developer or a team of developers. That's going to be very costly. I don't think it's going to be a good return on investment. Before we get into today's episode, are you a fix and flipper who needs some money? You need to maybe do more deals and you're limited by the funds you have available. Well then, Fund That Flip, today's best ever sponsor, has a solution for you. And you know Fund That Flip, right? You're a loyal best ever listener. The founder, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show multiple times. And they have been a previous sponsor. And they love working with the best ever listeners. And they provide short-term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, go to fundthatflip.com and mention that, well, you heard about it on the Best Ever Show. Best Ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Amy Wan. How you doing, Amy? I'm good. How are you, Joe? I'm doing well. Nice to have you back on the show. And a little about Amy. She is a partner at Crowdfunding Lawyers, where she advises on syndication and crowdfunding law. She's also the founder of Syndication Bot. She is a former general counsel at Patch of Land and has been named one of the top 10 legal tech females to watch by American Bar Association Journal based in Los Angeles, California. With that being said, Amy, you want to give the best of our listeners a little bit more about your background and your focus? Sure. Like you said, I pretty much focus in real estate crowdfunding and syndication law. What that really means is for anyone who wants to go raise money and they're offering investors a return on investment, that requires some legal docs. So I'm an attorney and that's what I do all day long. How I got into this industry was I actually used to work for the federal government. I did international trade policy. And when I moved back to LA, I found this little tiny startup at the time. It was called Patch of Land. They're still around. They do real estate crowdfunding on the debt side, helped them pioneer some really new and interesting products. So there we came out with the first payment structure that was a trustee and a security element to it. Most recently, I helped AlphaFlow put together their managed portfolio product, which basically allows for dynamic rebalancing. It's basically like a real estate robo-advisor. And today, I just help everyone who's trying to go out and raise money for their deal. And on that note, what caught my attention, we're friends and we're connected on LinkedIn, and I saw that you had written an article on how to start a real estate crowdfunding platform. And I immediately replied and I said, this has to be an interview on the show because I never thought about actually starting my own real estate crowdfunding platform, their crowdfunding platform that I interview. So I'd love to hear how to do that. And we'll talk through it because for best ever listeners who would be interested in starting one or just the components and things we need to be aware of that existing crowdfunding platforms have already come across. So how should we approach our conversation so that at the end of it, we know how to start a real estate crowdfunding platform? I think the important thing to remember here is that there are different types of real estate crowdfunding platforms. 
So obviously, when we say real estate crowdfunding platforms, a lot of people think about the big venture-backed ones. So Patch of Land, Realty Shares, Fundrise, Realty Mogul, all of them have gone out and raised a lot of money. Now, that in and of itself is a huge full-time job. The type of real estate crowdfunding platform I'm talking about is today probably maybe at least a couple times a week, I'm getting calls from people who are saying, hey, actually, this is not that hard. I would like to be able to put my own deals online for people to have a better investment experience. And so I think in approaching this conversation, what you have to keep in mind first is what is your goal? Are you trying to start this huge behemoth or are you simply putting your offerings online to allow people a better user experience, to allow the automation of payments, things like that? So there's definitely a couple questions I think people need to think about when they're beginning in this whole endeavor. And those are, like I said, is this going to be your own personal platform for your own deals? Or is this platform going to help other people raise funds for their deals? And the reason why that's an important distinction is because there's a very big difference in the level of legal compliance. If you're just raising money for yourself, then it's fairly simple. People raise money for their own projects all the time. But when you start raising money for other people, then you're starting to get into what we call brokering and dealing. And for that, you have to have a license or some sort of registration. And there's definitely a lot more compliance involved. So I think people have to really understand what they're approaching this idea for. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot to go along with that, a lot of financial ramifications too for startup costs when you do the raising money for other people and bring in through your crowdfunding platform that you're creating versus your own. So let's just assume that it is for your own deals. Cause I think the majority of the best ever listeners are going to want to do their own deals and create a platform so that people can review the information and have a better, as you say, investment experience. So how about we go with that example? Perfect. So I think then you have to think about, well, how much do I really want to invest into this project, right? So let me frame the conversation. I think 10 or 20 years ago, when everyone started putting up web pages, real estate companies thought, well, why do I need to put up a web page? Today, if you don't have a web page, you are not credible. So it's a matter of presence and credibility, letting people know who you are, having that LinkedIn profile, so on and so forth. From what I've been seeing over the past year, I'm getting so many calls about people trying to create their own personal platforms that I think the way we're trending now is that you've got your own website and hey, we're just going to add an additional tab called Browse Investments or Invest With Us or whatever your take on it is. And that basically allows people to see your offerings. Now, obviously we have to do it in a compliant manner, but I think that's what we're going to start seeing over the next 10 years, just being able to attract and take investors who just happen to find you. Maybe they're looking at your LinkedIn profile or something, but they can invest right then and there. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm thinking about this. I would be a prime candidate for this, but I initially am 
not interested in starting my own. And I know you're not advocating to start one or not start one. We're just talking about how to do it if you choose to do it. But just for some context for the best ever listeners as well, I wouldn't start my own platform at this point because what helps me maintain conversation with my investors about a deal is we'll have additional marketing stuff in conversations. I need to have a reason to reach out to them. So for example, when I have an opportunity, I initially emailed out to my private investor network and then I set up a call and we have a call and then I send another email after the call is done with a call recording. And then once that's done, usually about three or four, sometimes a week later, we'll have a video that we finally complete with just a video walkthrough of the actual property and the deal. And if I were to upload all this stuff at once on this platform, then I wouldn't be able to have a reason, although I'm sure I could make one up, but I wouldn't be able to have a reason to follow up with them, not asking, hey, are you in, but rather here's something else that will be useful for you as you evaluate the deal. Right. So the point of creating that whole browse investments tab is not so someone comes across your webpage and drops maybe ten or $20,000 because that doesn't happen. There's an element of trust that needs to be had, right? You have to create that relationship. What we're starting to see a lot of people approach us for is that they're simply using it as a way to catalyze their funnel if you will. So basically, someone goes, they see your website, they see maybe past deals that you've done, right? Anyone can put those up. And even if these people, for most of their deals, they'll use a traditional 506B private placement, everything's done with their private investor network. But once in a while, they're now starting to put up a 506C offering. And 506C is basically accredited crowdfunding. You're allowed to advertise and generally solicit. So they'll, once in a while, do one of these deals. They will tweet it out, post it on LinkedIn, do Facebook advertising, just lots of digital marketing. And it brings a lot of eyes. Now, those people aren't going to invest right then and there. They might come back for a couple of times if you have one of those boxes that's like, hey, are you interested? Or even if they try to invest, it's mostly capturing your email and they can invest if they want, but there's still that element of forming that relationship because what you really want to do is get them into your long-term investor base. One day, you want them to be able to invest in your 5-6B deals. Mm-hmm. And that's the strategy that you mentioned to me when we met in person about a year and a half ago. And you said, continue to do, if you want to do, 506B, which is just the people who I know in my network and I already have a pre-existing relationship with. But then if you want to cast a wider net, then sprinkle in a 506C and bring in people who you don't know, but you can publicly advertise to. And then that will allow you to grow your investor network even more so than where you're at now. Right. And we're starting to see a lot more traditional syndicators do that today. Now, at the end of the day, all this is just marketing strategy. Do you have to do this? No. If you have a huge private investor database and you haven't come close to tapping out that capital, then you may not need to. But there's a lot of people who are continually searching for capital, continually searching for people with money, and this might be a strategy that they might think about adopting. Mm -hmm. With the content on the website, 
what can and can't we put up there? Ah, it depends on what you're doing because everyone's doing something different, right? If you have a 5.6B, what you can put up there is different from if you're doing 5.6C, which is different from whether you're doing a Reg A+, which is something where you're not raising from accredited investors, you're raising from the crowd and you can raise up to $50 million. So things like... 5.0 or 1.5? Oh, 5.0. Okay. And then the newest one, of course, is regulation crowdfunding. Right now under that, you can raise from the crowd up to $1 million, which is not so appetizing for really sophisticated real estate investors, but it's an additional option. Let's go with a scenario 506B where we're only doing the deal with the people people we have a pre-existing relationship with. What can we put up there so it's publicly available? (laughs) Well, don't hold me to this because this is not legal advice. You cannot rely on this. (laughs) There is what should you put and what might you put. I think there's a little bit of lack of certainty or clarity in the law today. If you want to be super safe, I would say you can put up past deals that you've done where fundraising is done. You've completely closed it out. You can put your previous results on there. Past things are the best. You never want to make any sort of statement or proclamation of guaranteed returns, no risk. And I know that sounds dumb, but I've seen a lot of really interesting things over the past couple of years. (laughs) If you want to put a current offering up, that becomes a little bit trickier. What definitely needs to happen is it has to be password protected. It has to be someone that you have that pre-existing relationship with. You've grabbed coffee with them. You've touched them three times through telephone or email or whatever it is, and you've really interacted with them. That is a strategy that some of the real estate crowdfunding platforms adopt today. They will do 506B deals online, but they make sure that they have a very good record or documentation that they have these pre-existing relationships. Otherwise, if it's new people, then you have to set up certain, I would say, best practices about how you're going to develop that pre-existing relationship and document it before they can invest in you that first time. What are some ways to do that? What are some best practices for develop the pre-existing relationship before they invest with you? Just like you were talking about earlier, maybe they come to the webpage and they enter in their email address or they try to invest and it kind of blocks them. They can't really see any 506B deals. What you're going to do then is you're going to reach out to them and be like, hey, let's grab a coffee. Let's jump on the phone. You're going to ask them, how sophisticated are you? How much money do you have invest? What do you like investing in? Have you invested in real estate before? There's an educational and informational component. And if it sounds like they're going to be the type of investor who might be interested in your deals, then you want to take that relationship a little bit further. There's no black and white here's a pre-existing relationship, here's not. It's more of a fluid thing. But some of my clients, for example, they're very good about documenting every single time they have a call with this person. So they'll try and get maybe two or three calls in over the course of two or three weeks. And after that, then they will allow that investor to see any new investment that is coming out in the future, not anything that was currently open for funding 
when that investor first tried to sign up. Okay. You mentioned earlier the process for showing your deals, and we talked about a 506B scenario. Basically, you don't show your current deal. On a 506B scenario, you show your past deals. With 506C, do you still need that password protection online if you verify they're accredited after the fact? This point is actually a little unclear. It is recommended that they actually register on the website and create a password, but there's no restriction now on, hey, it's password protected, but they can see the deal immediately, not maybe a month later. What we always say to clients is what the SEC giveth, the SEC taketh away. So the more the SEC allows you freedom and flexibility in going and raising funds, they're going to ask for something in return. So here they're allowing you to tell the entire world about your deal freely. You can, like I said, go on LinkedIn, go on Twitter, go on all those things. You can tell it to people that you've never met on your podcast. The price that you pay is at the back end when they are trying to actually invest in the deal, you do have to actually verify their accredited status. And you can do that yourself. There are third-party companies where you pay like 30 or 50 bucks and they'll verify it for you. But at the end of the day, you do want to make sure you do that so that you're protecting yourself in case the SEC ever comes hunting for an audit. Do you know how the third-party company verifies accreditation? There's a few third-party companies out there, but mostly what they do is there's only a couple ways, actually, that the SEC has specifically talked about to verify someone's accredited status. So one is you can have a letter from your attorney, your CPA, your broker-dealer. Another one is you just show, for example, pay stubs if you're trying to verify under your income. So you will show pay stubs or W-2 for the past two calendar years. And then for your net worth, you basically don't have to share your entire net worth. You just have to show enough that it qualifies you. So basically a million dollars in net worth excluding your primary residence. Mm-hmm. Boy, the letter from your CPA attorney or broker dealer seems like the path of least resistance. Just reach out to him or her and ask them to write a letter and then that's that. You would think that. (laughs) But actually what we've found from practical experience is that these people, except for broker dealers, a lot of attorneys, a lot of CPAs actually don't like doing this. They will actually charge their client a huge amount of money for it because they fear at the end of the day that it's them making some sort of representation that it's their liability that they've made this representation. So actually a lot of people use the other two methods. Wow. Yeah. That's that's surprising. I've heard of one CPA who wanted to charge their client $5,000 for this letter. We gave them the template too. And it's just, it's ridiculous. I would immediately move on to another CPA. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Immediately. That's, that's, that's criminal almost. All right. Well, Amy, this has been educational and very practical for all of the best ever listeners who are out there bringing investors into their deals. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that we should talk about as it relates to starting a real estate crowdfunding platform for our deals? Yes. Please, please, please. Don't go out and hire 
a developer or a team of developers. That's going to be very costly. I don't think it's going to be a good return on investment. What I usually tell people to do, depending on what their goal is, is they can either go and license a white label from an existing provider, or there's a couple companies out there who have something called invest now button. And you basically copy and paste the code, you plop it on your website. And whenever someone wants to invest in a deal on your website, all your compliance automatically gets handled through a broker dealer. Mm. Thank you for mentioning that. That saves a lot of money and time more importantly. Well, you know what? Best ever listeners, I forgot to mention, this is a skill set Sunday episode. So I hope you're having a best ever weekend, by the way. <laughs> Today is Sunday and this was the skill clearly how to start a real estate crowdfunding platform for your own deals. Where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you, Amy? They can find me on LinkedIn. It's LinkedIn forward slash IN forward slash Amy Y Wan, or they can go to our website, crowdfundinglawyers.net. My syndication bot website is syndicationbot.com. And then of course I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Excellent. Well, from the initial clarification of scope, which was important, were we talking about big venture back platforms where we're bringing other people's deals or are we talking about our own deals exclusively? And we decided to focus the conversation around our own deals just for the purpose of time. And I think it's most practical or relevant to the listeners. And then we talked about one, how much do we want to invest in this project? And fortunately, at the very end, you gave the advice of don't go out and hire a developer team, look at the invest now button or white label from an existing provider. I'm sure that's a quick Google search. And then the approach for the 506B versus 506C, not legal advice, but some things that we talked about was having the current offering, if it's 506B, not be shown at all but rather have the past deals being shown and previous results from the past deals as long as you're not raising money. Obviously, we never want to write or communicate in any form or fashion, no risk or guaranteed returns because there is risk and the returns are not guaranteed, even if it's a preferred return. And then we talked about the difference between 506B and 506C just as a refresher for best ever listeners. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with bestselling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book on negotiating real estate. I've read the book. Lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs, Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.